Welcome to Karma Club, a weekly opportunity to have or hear serious discussions with smart people who want to build a community around love and health. We address serious issues in non-polarizing ways. Our currency isn't money, it's the Karma Coin, a creator coin that supports 75 other digital creators and entrepreneurs. You can join the fund at rally.io slash creators slash karma and you can learn about Dr. Francine Hardaway, Karma Club founder, at Linktree slash Karma Club. All right. What do you think of that? With something new we're trying, which is an, an intro to the show so that I don't have to keep saying everything over and over again every week. Um, hi, Anita. Hi, Warren. Um, hi, Andrea. This is... One of my, first of all, let me tell you that um, you can buy Karma Coin, which supports me and 78 other creators on, on, um, in Karma Club. Um, and a lot of them are much better than I am. I'm just here for the, for the fun of it and to discuss some of these real serious issues. I've been an activist pretty much all my life. Hi, Andrea. Welcome to this stage. Um, and we are in big trouble here with democracy. We are, we are in big da danger for several reasons, not the least of which is our, our own two-party system, which seems not to be able to work. And what I want to do is see if we can come to some agreement. Of course, you can come up, Eric. You can always come up in one of my rooms. Thank um, you. I, I... <laughs> yeah, um, we got to get some things we can actually do. You know, there's so many things discussed and so many people saying what's wrong with democracy. We have to once and for all figure out, does it even work? And if it works, how do we make it work better? And it, it appears to me that one really good way to make it work better is to make more people vote. But I don't understand how we even begin to do that. So um, Eric or Andrea, I know you are heavily engaged in these efforts. Talk to me about what you see. Um, I hope, can you hear me okay? Is my connection all right? Yep. Um, well, you know, in addition to speaking and listening over the last year and longer about this, I just wanted to share something as we start this conversation. Uh, over the last few days, I was just sort of going back and thinking about what does actually democracy even mean? <laughs> But interestingly enough, in a bunch of the reading I did, I found that we were um, <laughs> going through a similar, going through a similar, not crisis, but situation back in the 30s, you know, with a rise of authoritarianism around the world. And one thing was that um, they had a nationwide broadcast of say eight different types of experts where they had um similar to the idea that we discussed francine which was 
um, you know, going around the video or the audio art project I, I said I wanted to do, which is asking people what democracy was. Um, but they had a nationwide broadcast about the topic of democracy and what it took, what did it mean to people, and then what it took to run one. And they also had a series of events that was funded by the major foundations, which brought people together in local communities to have debates on issues. And the issues were um, suggested and by the local communities. I mean, school boards, you know, that kind of local level in your community, in, in a city. And they had literal debates opposing issues, sometimes with experts, sometimes with public officials, but also with local people. And there was a huge outpouring and investment of civic in civic education at that time. And so obviously, I would say between now and then, and I'm not a historian, I'm just reflecting that what has happened since then, there was a lot of economic, there was a lot of economic growth. And we have the increase in, in screens and media and entertainment and social media as distractions and not necessarily being out in the real world in our communities and participating. And then I think the education system changed. So we need a renewal of civic education. And finally, I'll close here because I know it, we've often talked about the need to look at, at the role of money in politics and how the balance of interest or if we if democracy is being perceived as as only pandering to the corporate interests or creating generations of millionaires and billionaires and not for the, the majority of people, it becomes problematic and weakened. And then also the other thing is that, you know, what it, it, the way the Constitution was framed to begin with didn't really talk about what it meant to be a free American. And um, I think there's, there's a lot to unpack well, there, but a hundred classes of people, a hundred percent and colors. <laughs> so, well, that's and, right. and that was a, that was a massive opener. I'm just going to say in a word, uh, increased civic education, increased civic engagement, uh, and more uh, uh, activities to try to hold leaders to account, and then a whole slew of other things we've talked about, but I'll pause there. Okay, and, and in a second, I will too, but I want to say that um, I have just been spending some time pinging people into the room, and what I've learned from doing that is that most of the people who follow me, and there appear to be 21,700 of them, have their notifications off. So if you have a friend or a colleague that you think should be or would like to be in this room, would you mind sending that person a text message? Because I, I, I can't reach them if they have their notifications off. And I don't blame them for having their notifications off because you can get deluged by notifications. So... So, yeah, but we need to get some other voices up on stage and some other voices into the room, because otherwise we're all all the activists on the stage that are always here are going to be having the same the same discussion. So with that said, Joseph, introduce yourself because you are a new voice. Joseph? Yes, hi, thanks. Um, I was going to mention that you, when you had your comment about democracy, 
it, it, it needs to be curated. People vote based on how they're informed. Um, and all segments of society have some form of oversight, whether it's voters that, you know, the politicians report to voters who appoint them just as much as company leaders report to shareholders who, who vote them in. The only people that are not under is those that have the subjectivity to decide what the people have a right unfortunately uh, and that's where the, the system needs to start they're motivated by eyeballs by whether it's clickbait but their economic model is not the social good of educating the public their model is focused on entertainment masked in a news so people are not educated through the medium of news, which is not doing its role. It's the only segment of society that is not fulfilling its role properly to educate people to have democracy allowed work. That is a fundamental cornerstone of democracy. I know Steve in, in the audience will have a lot to say about this and is doing great work with Transform Global to help address some of this. But the, the system overall uh, is, is, is one where globally we, we just drop the ball on how to curate information, to educate a voting public, to allow for democracy to flourish. And actually, when you say globally, I, I think that's absolutely true. Eric, how are you this morning? I am doing good. I have been quintuple tasking, watching the Senate vote on the stopgap funding measure, because that impacts some work we do. And then two House hearings, the hearing on the Moores Act and the hearing on abortion rights. And it is fundamentally clear that a lot of, we have not been electing the best people to office. We have some people here that, my God, Lord Jesus, they are just, beyond uninformed, but take up too much oxygen on issues that have nothing to do with fundamental quality of life matters that impact the day-to-day -day life of citizens, people that are running businesses and the like. And just, it is amazing. I'll give you just one quick example. Jim Jordan, who he needs to be diselected. You know, he's only introduced <laughs> 20... That's our hate him as well, Eric. He's only introduced 26 bills in the time he's been in Congress. He hasn't passed a bill. He's on his he's in his seventh, going on eighth term. That's 14 years, two bills a year of nothing. Absolutely, positively, not a damn thing for the citizens in his district. The Republicans that vote for him or the Democrats or the third party candidate people, voters that don't vote for him. Nothing for his people. So to that particular point, where do I think, is democracy worth saving? Yes. As a 10th generation Amer African-American whose son is 11th generation and who if I become a grandfather in the future, That'll be 12th generation. We're going to save this democracy. It is not an option. But we have to also be cognizant that there are a sizable number of people that are currently in power, that have currently been elected, that are 
not going to work with us. And that's okay. We center our efforts with the coalition of the partisan line and where we need to really put the new partisan line, which is pro-democracy versus authoritarian false theocracy dictatorship. And that includes our non-Trump Republicans, that includes Democrats, that includes third party folks. And we have to really infuse education of how this stuff works. Actually something I've started doing independently here in Michigan. A friend of mine is Monica Palmer, who got a lot of notoriety because of the Wayne County Board of Canvassers role in the certification of that important county's Wait, results. are you in Michigan? I'm in yes, Michigan. I am. Yes, I am. Oh, that's a very important state. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so Monica is a friend. She supports the radical orange terrorists in Mar-a-Lago, but she's a friend. We've talked about actually doing a series of me and her doing forums and sessions or educating people of how the voting process works. What are the ways that you vote? How do you do your ballot? How is it counted? How is it processed? And going around the state and doing this because one, as I was able to talk her off the ledge on a few things, it was nice to know that you could have that conversation, present facts, and somebody that's in that camp actually would listen. But two, if we do it together, it can give the credibility of the people that believe the lies to come and actually at least hear for an hour or two hours actual information that's real. You know, Eric, if you're a member of Karma Club, you can um, you can open a room and do that for with Karma Club. And man, I would love it and encourage it. I, 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 I just think it'd be phenomenal. You know, that's a great idea. I would love to do that. I'll join up with Karma Club. I'll some in my statement with this, one thing we've got to weave in, we've never fixed the 14th and 15th amendments from the four cases during, during Reconstruction that gutted the effect. Slaughterhouse, U.S. v. Kershank, U.S. v. Reese, and U.S. v. Harris, which basically de- nationalized our rights as citizens, gave the state permission to discriminate in factors against private citizens, not so much against businesses, and stated that the right to vote, which in the 15th Amendment is defined as a right of citizenship, in U.S. v. Reese, it eliminated that as a federal Right. And said the right to vote comes from the states and the federal government's only job is to prevent states from discriminating. We need to infuse that into our attack of how do we save democracy, because that has been the limiting factor of why we have so many adverse rulings and policies that limit our rights as citizens and don't allow the federal government to weigh in as effectively as they need to when we have these radical terrorist governors now 
or other people that are leading some of these states and putting the lives of their citizens at risk. You know, I have a great idea, another great idea, Eric. (laughs) I always think my ideas are great, which is the only thing that allows me to have the guts to open a room. But my idea might be that we have a room in Karma Club where we almost read aloud the second 10 amendments to the Constitution, because I think many people just ignore them. And I think we at least need to teach people what is in them. Because, again, you know, some rooms, Rebecca, do you want to take part or are you multitasking, honey? Oh, it's always Rebecca for the Blacks. Rebecca for the Blacks. Oh, my God. For the Blacks. And yes, I've pinged quite a few in here. Um, So, I mean, yeah, I don't have um, much to add to um, this discussion of democracy. Um, When we live in a classist and capitalistic society, uh, whereby we don't mandate that, like, today off, that already uh, makes it uh, more difficult for certain groups of people to even be able to vote. Then okay, um, write write that down on your four hundred page notepad. That one of the things that we can do to make it easier for people to vote is make election day a holiday. Thank you. Go on. Yes. Um, so making election day, a ho- you know, so we're under this illusion that we live in a meritocracy. Work harder, work harder. Yeah, but if you work two, three jobs, because you know. Uh-huh. The Walmarts and the Amazons and some of these other um, DoorDash and Postmates and Seamless and all these other companies don't pay people, then when are they supposed to be able to vote? And then we don't have the purchasing power to buy elections and buy candidates. Um, (laughs) So so another thing would be to, um, I wouldn't say banish, but would be to really closely monitor ALIC, the American Legislation um, Executive, uh, was it Coalition or Collaborative or whatever the hell the C stands for? Council, um, yes. Council. We need to monitor one of those. Mm-hmm. Which, whichever C word they wanted to use. Uh, um, so, you know, thank you, Eric, for the blacks. So, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people still don't know what ALIC is or what it stands for or what it does or how it, it, it perpetuates the, the landscape that we know it in terms of. Um, companies having all the power that they have. I learned about ALIC in the Occupy movement way black in 2011. Um, so not ALIC, but there's another consortium or group, whatever, of, of corporations, which are people, by the way, Citizens United. So that would be another one, get rid of Citizens United. And so Did you go in the matrix or did I? Um, it, it, I can hear you, Dr. Francine, but if she's in the matrix, I'd love to add something when it's appropriate. Please, please do, Steve. Please do, and thank you for coming. Uh, it, it's my pleasure, and it's my first time in the room. I just wanted to add to the discussion. Of course, I'm born, raised, and continue to live in beautiful Southern California. Um, Southern, uh, pardon me, all of California has time off to vote. The California Elections Code Section 14001 
requires employers to post a notice to employees advising them of provisions for taking paid leave for the purpose of voting in statewide elections. And then a sample of this notice is on this. And that's the uh, California Secretary of State. So just as an FYI, and again, I don't know about the other 49 states, but in California, I believe it's four hours paid leave uh, to go vote. So I just wanted to throw that in and thank you. Okay, Ben. Hello from, uh, hello from, oh, you're in Tucson. Ben, hello. But can I, can I say one thing? These are voices that I've heard many times. And what I would like is new voices because at least a third of this, uh, of the population doesn't vote. We don't even know how they'll vote. They just don't even bother to vote. And they need to be brought back in to realize that if they don't vote, they lose democracy. And I would really like to, if you don't mind my skipping a little bit, I wanna, I wanna see what Chun has to say because Chun used to be in Hong Kong and that, Chen, is that the right way to say your name? Yeah, uh, uh, call me Jay is also okay. Thank you. So I would like to ask something from my own experience. I am a Chinese, I'm proudly a Chinese to be honest. I come from Hong Kong now to Britain. Well, as you can know, things happening in Hong Kong are very unpleasant and unacceptable for many people in the Western countries and in Hong Kong as well. That's why I came to Britain, I go to politics. I, I, in such a young age, no one, no, none of my classmates going to politics, only me going to politics at the age of 15. So the point is, I believe everyone should vote. There's no good reason for you not to vote because there are so many people in this world that cannot vote. I, I doesn't mean you, you cannot, you know, I, I doesn't mean you are forced to vote. I doesn't mean the people you must vote or you will die. But yes, as a, as a, as a citizen, you have a responsibility to vote without being asked to, without, you, you just need to pressure the, the thing we have today. People in Hong Kong can be pushed, pushed into jail, can be, can be arrested for saying or, or posting, or even posting something against the government on the internet. And in mainland China, the country that I come from and the country that I love was ruined by the Communist Party of Chinese who doesn't respect any, any rights of the Chinese people. The Uyghurs in Xinjiang and the ethnic minorities in China are being locked into camps when when the when western peoples are still considering where to eat or where to party in uh, on saturday with your friends or perhaps playing with instagram facebook although a uh, lot of people don't think facebook um twitter when the chinese people can only use censored they can only use filtered internet can only use 
can only see filtered news with only a with ninety nine percent of propaganda and one percent of truth. So 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 that's the thing where I come from. That's why I love the Western countries so much because they have the thing that we are so desperate, we fight so hard to get it back from. So by this chance, sorry to take your time, by this chance, I would like to ask everyone to hear, hearing, listening to this uh, space, or is it a, 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 a broadcast, to vote, tell your children when they grow up, they need to vote properly. They need to read the manifesto. They read to they, they really need to consider before they vote. And tell your friends, tell your parents, tell whoever who can vote or whoever whoever who will be voting to vote, to stand up and use your power, use your right as a citizen. You are very lucky. Thank you. Oh wow that was worth skipping some people for thank you so much and for for showing up Heyman. yeah so i got some stats right there's a world economic the economist basically has this democracy index that they've been publishing since 2006 and it's an index compiled by examining the state of democracy in 167 countries and they quantify it basically on four or five general categories right so electoral process the voting part is only one of it then there's pluralism Civil uh, civil liberties, functioning of government, political participation, and political culture. Where do you think U.S. fits in this list? 167 countries. We are now a flawed yeah. democracy, according to them, and we are somewhere. Yeah. We were around 26. Yep. And back in 2006, we were we used to be around 15 or 17, depending on if it's the Economist Intelligence Unit. Yeah. Or there's different indices, but. You're 25th right now, U.S. And number one is Norway. Second is Iceland, Sweden, New Zealand, and Canada is number five. And so again, U.K. is actually does better. And they're considered full democracies. U.K. is number 16. So again, I mean, even Japan beats you and South Korea as well. So there's a question of like the other parts too, like as uh, Rebecca for the Blacks has as well mentioned, like and also Eric, there's other factors besides voting that need to be considered in this democracy. Thanks. Okay, thank you very much. That that I really appreciate. That you know, my other point before I go to Jeanette, who is now off the phone. Um, the interesting, the interesting thing that I see is that it's the black community that won the election for us by coming out uh, in twenty twenty. Well, I hate to say this. But there aren't enough black people in the United States. We need more black people because they understand democracy and they fight for it in ways that our own people seem not to, uh, our own white people seem not to be willing to do. So we've got to do that. Jeanette, hi. Good to see you again. Good to see everybody. I love what everybody's bringing. I'm sorry, Ms. Heyman's comments. But um, I just want to add to what Eric said and what you, everybody's saying, actually, is um, the education that has to go on. I mean, we're talking about 
democracy at a different level than the average voter can understand. Their number one education is the news. And so we need to get back in the community and teach them correctly about the importance of voting, how to, how to, um, how to, how to evaluate who the best candidates are. Because as Eric pointed out, the wrong ones are getting elected. So we need to be able to teach them about how to hold them accountable, just the grassroots stuff. Make phone calls, write letters, and vote. That's all the regular people out in the community understand. You know, my brother, lucrative job as a fashion photographer about uh, 15 years ago and went to teach civics in in uh, junior high. Just the idea of education. And and Christine, another thing that, that you know that can be done is to um, actually volunteer to register people to vote. Yes, because that is a um, you know if you can spare time for a shift you can both learn a lot and then get a sense of how much people understand it's also an opportunity to educate people about the process before you get yeah one of the things that when i first moved here to broward county in florida yeah it's a hot pot for election every year um i did volunteer i did do the recounts um they had a program actually for the children the elementary through high school where they had a program called voting Broward and at the polling places that the teachers would teach civics in the classroom, teach them about the importance of election and the volunteer, they'd have volunteers at all the polling places specifically for those students to go vote. So they were learning how to vote and the teachers in the classroom were teaching them about voting and the responsibility of voting. I remember listening to some of the, children as they would come out of their polls and the parents say, who'd you vote for? And the children would say, Hey, that's personal. That's private. You shouldn't be, you should be asking those questions. So the teachers would teach them about, you know, the importance of being discreet and how they vote and talking about it and how to talk about it. So they were learning all that from elementary through all through high school. And then you can see the outcome of, as they graduate from high school, they're, they're signing up and registering to vote. So, but I like that idea, Andrea, is to work um, to help get people registered. That gives the opportunity to talk to them, to ask them, you know, what they need to know, keep track of that and share it with each other. But we have to get back in the community. We've got to teach them about the importance of learning how to select the proper candidate. And once they're in office, to hold them accountable. We have to go back to that. And Andrea, I love that you shared what you studied on on the democracy and the cycles. Right now, the most dangerous thing out there is social media and the TV news. That is just so bad for everybody. But for the common person, that's all they have. That's the only education they're getting. So whatever we need to do, I like Eric's idea, starting a community, um, get, get community groups to do uh, maybe town hall meetings, anything just to get people in there 
used to getting out to talking about and talking with candidates on what's important. So that's, that's what I've got to say. It's, it's something I did when I was back in California. And I think we have to go back to doing that. Um, one of the things I used to do for any bill that was being passed, I'd print it out and I'd hold meetings and teach them how to read a bill so that they knew how to vote on it. So we just need to go back to the basics, I think. I, I, and where to find the time to do that is, is, can be problematic, but when we have a pool of volunteers, that's the best thing. So keep pushing for volunteers. We need to get something done. And we need to- Well, you know, I, I used to, this is one of the bad things about voting by mail. When my kids were little, I took them to the polls. And I took them inside the voting booth and I explained how voting was done and why it's so important that you have, you know, that you can't be persecuted for a vote that doesn't agree with the vote of the majority because we lived in Arizona. And I also took them once. I had a friend, I, I still do, Bruce Babbitt, um, had a short abortive uh, foray into running for president. And so he had to go to the Iowa caucuses. And I actually took my kids to Iowa uh, because they knew him. Uh, and and we all went to Iowa in the snow and went door, door to door during the Iowa caucuses. And, you know, because of that, I have one daughter who lives in London and one daughter who lives in California, and they both vote, you know, but my, my, um, my daughter who lives in London has to like go through a lot of hoops to get an absentee ballot and, and um, vote, but she does not ever forget. Um, I would like to, oh, Dr. Dan left, Bummer. Dr. Francine, can I chime in really quickly again? I know I'm a regular voice that you always hear, but can I chime in really quickly? It's not that I mind the regular voices. I love the regular voices, but of course, and of course you can. You're very kind. Thank you. And of course, the Iowa caucuses are covered by all the national media. But let's admit, it really means nothing except media coverage. What really means something is the following New Hampshire primary, which always follows the Iowa caucus, and that's the primary. So I just wanted to point that out. Now, not that I'm you know, saying anything bad about the Iowa caucuses, but it means nothing. The New Hampshire primary, which comes up next and is heavily affected by what the media reports on the Iowa caucus. Thank you. All right. Hey, doctor. May I, may I chime in also? Are we popping? Absolutely. On? You know, should I stop calling on people? Should I just let people talk? I want to hear people talk. So go ahead. Well, I would say do what you feel is best that's working for you. But if I may chime in, um, I just want to say I live in a vote by mail state, and I too I have always brought my kids. Um, we just drive down to the ballot box. And they've always been with me while I put the ballot in and we photograph it and we make it a celebration every single time. 
And they too, when they've lived abroad, um, did what was necessary to make sure that they could be absentee voters. Um, and I, I wanted to thank you, Dr. Francine, for acknowledging the hard work of Black voters here and and just taking another step further that we mustn't, um, you know, everybody needs to step up and follow that lead. And, you know, it's, it is great to say we need more Black voters, you know, sure, we do. Um, everybody, everybody needs to follow that lead and become more active in absolutely every place that we can because, you know, silence is the same thing as being complicit. And as far as working with youth, um, I'm an arts educator and I have students who may never vote because of um, undocumented status. And what I try to teach them is that they can, you know, Leo always used to say there's victory in the voice. And so I share that with them that they can be activists, artist activists, and share their voices in different ways. And I think that's really key that many of us grew up um, not apathetic, but but I, I've seen, you know, I just heard so many people say, you know, it doesn't matter, why should they vote? And the more that we can encourage the youth that it's it's actually part of our responsibility to take part in voting, that otherwise, you know, we can't complain about something like police violence because we are complicit if we do nothing. So, you know, calls to educators, talking to people, they're, they're just, it, it just needs to feel like it's, it is a personal responsibility of every life here to take part in, in that process. So thank you, Victoria, and Dan Dwight, can I you've, ask been, you? you've been here for a while. And Steve, can I just shut you down so I can hear what Dwight has to say? Dwight? Yes, ma'am. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having this space. And uh, I kind of been waiting on it since I saw it pop up uh, a couple of days ago when you scheduled it. Uh, because I think this is like one of the two most important conversations that we need to be having right now. And um, if you'll check my PTR, I, I come bearing a specific set of, of, of concerns and, and, and solutions because I've been really focused on the idea that if we can get our governance together, then maybe we can actually start doing the things that we need to do. And one of the major problems is that we have a serious misrepresentation problem when each one of our representatives is representing, and this is in the House, is representing an average of 750,000 people. This is patently ridiculous. It would be difficult for one person to represent the interest of 75,000 people, much less 750,000 people. And the fact that we allow this to continue is indicative of the fact that we have not even examined how we govern ourselves and what democracy actually is and is supposed to be in any real substantive fashion, um, perhaps since 1776. I don't know. I, and, 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 but it, it seems like it's time to do that now. And that starts with making sure that we have uh, adequate representation, which means I should be able to reach my representative and I should not be one in a sea of 750,000. It should be closer to one in 30,000. Could you read your, your, your PTR out loud so that everyone um, 
Uh, we have some people who maybe can't uh, see well. So I would like to have her, uh, I would like to have Mary understand what your character, your um, government reform, your six government reform points are. Dwight? Dwight? He might not be able to hear you. I, I can hear you, okay, can you hear me? Yes. 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 Okay, sorry about that. Uh, the first one is, uh, these these are my, my eight pillars of government reform. Oh, it's eight, see? That's yeah. why you have to read them. The, the, the two got cut off on the bottom. The first one is universal suffrage, uh, and that basically means when you turn 18 and you're able to vote, you're, you're, you're registered to vote, period. And all you gotta do is, you know, wherever you're living, it's, it's got to be online. That's the next one. election reform. Uh, meaning we've got to reform how we do elections. It, we, we should have been doing elections online virtually for a long time now. There's no reason not to do it. Uh, I live in California where it's a, you know, uh, fully by, by mail state. And I tell you, one of the things, um, I guess it was maybe 2016, uh, 2016 election, uh, when California sent out uh, a big pretty booklet with all the candidates, all the issues. It was something that I hadn't really seen. I'm from Georgia, and Georgia doesn't really care about elections, uh, as we all know. But it was something that I hadn't really seen, and, and I wondered why this wasn't the standard for doing elections everywhere. And I realized this because uh, an informed population is the worst thing for our current uh, mode of, of, of oligarchical government. The, the people who are currently in positions of power would lose it all if people actually understood what was going on. So uh, let's see, number one is universal suffrage. Number two is election reform. Number three is representation reform. That's where I talk about actually one in 30,000 being the standard for representation. And, and uh, number four is public safety reform. Number five is court reform. Number six is constitutional reform. Uh, number seven is uh, Department of Peace. And number Eight is publicly funded media, and I heard people um, discussing earlier how how truly dismal the the media is and the information that people are receiving. And a big part of that is because a it's profit motivated, and b is controlled by uh, people who you know have incentives to to disinform and, and misinform people. And what we need to do is allow for people who actually have the public interest at heart, like I think a lot of journalists and, 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 and media people actually would if they didn't have to deal with the corporate machine, allow them to do what the fourth estate is supposed to do and, and hold the rest of the, 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 the establishment responsible in, in, in ways that actually inform the population. And I think it's incumbent upon the public to demand that and also to make sure that it's facilitated by giving them the proper resources. So. Um, and the reason I did these eight things, just to wrap this up really quickly, is because I honestly think a lot of our conversations uh, tend to run too far into the into the completely and totally incomprehensible. Uh, right now, we're having all kinds of conversations about filibuster, when, when actually that is a distraction. The, the conversation of, should actually be, do we still need the Senate? What purpose does it serve? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> That's exactly right. The Senate is like the House of Lords. Exactly. But 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 as long as they can keep us distracted with minutia, like whether or not the filibuster and, and what the debt ceiling actually is, and, and do we have it, and is it a real thing, and must we live with it, and can we shut down the government because we can't pay for anything, even though they can actually print all the money they need anytime they want. We have to, this is why, and, 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 and really I'm gonna wrap up on this. When I hear people say black people and young people are saving the electorate, I start to shudder because I'm black and I purposely interact only with young people. All of my, all of my business efforts and activities are dedicated to interacting with, with millennials and Gen Zs. Okay, and well, I'm, I'm, here, I'm not black, but I do interact only with young people. What I'm hearing from these people, black, black and young people, is a complete and total disillusionment with this process because we are not, the, the, it is impossible to not see the flagrant hypocrisy and BS that is daily coming down from this. That's that information aid has done that, if nothing else. It has completely and totally pulled back the curtain uh, and, and let us see that, uh, you know, who the, who the wizard really is. And when people get disillusioned, they're going to stop going out there. They're going to say, hey, this isn't worth doing. And all of this, you know, like I said, all of the distractions and, and the minutia talk that doesn't really actually go to fixing anything is a big part of why people are pulling back and not wanting to participate in the process that they already see as rigged, uncontrollable, and something that even if they did plug into it, wouldn't benefit them in any material uh, fashion. So, of course, I, I share all their I share all their feelings, but I just keep going because I just know that if I don't, you know, pass something on to the next generations, we are no longer going to live in a democracy. It's not that I don't realize that all this. You know, all this is wrong. What you know, it's like, yeah. I mean, exactly. Mary, would you like to say something? Um, if, if I can, this is Rebecca for the Blacks with Aquari. Um, Dwight for the Blacks. I love everything you said, and um, thank you, Dr. Francine, for being for the Blacks. Um, I just want to know how exactly, and and you know, I agree. So you know, here, here, and cheers to the Molotov cocktail. How would we achieve? you know, getting rid of the Senate, um, universal suffrage, um, what, what would the path, like, I, so I do movement strategy, community organizing, and diversity training, right? All those through lines is the same thing. You have to build awareness, right? There's people who know and people who don't know. Once they know, a lot of people won't act, right? So after awareness is advocacy. You have to then funnel all of this outrage and uh, aha moment, ah, 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 to, okay, so this is what we need instead. I pointed out the issue, right? In order to get to the solution, right? We need to move this little problem right here, right? So what are you going to advocate for instead, right? So your list here is what we should be advocating for instead, right? Um, and then uh, the next phase is accountability, right? So who, who do we hold accountable to making sure that these things happen, right? So question number one, because um, then with movement tactics, it's like tactics and strategy, right? So so who would we be holding accountable, right? And what would we do in order to make sure that that, that becomes the goal? I'm just curious about that. For my purposes, Rebecca, it kind of starts with the um, representation reform and making sure that 
um, when I send a letter to my senator, and it's, it's even worse with senators. There's only a hundred senators, so basically, and, and you know, because of different state sizes, you know, different ones are actually, you know, representing different numbers of people. But I, obviously, out here in California, we got two senators for you know, I don't know how many millions of people are here um, that, that are counted and uncounted. But um, that means when I send a letter to them, they can send me back a form letter. With the the sure notice, no, uh, with the sure knowledge that it matters not at all because I'm just insignificant in in, in the big scheme of things too. So, uh, and, and this is you know infuriating beyond all you know to 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 to, to know that they're doing this to everybody, uh, the people who who actually try to plug into the process and send letters and stuff like this, like they like they tell us to do, and then you get that back. So. The, the initial step is the accountability that can be held for somebody who only has uh, 30,000 people who are determining whether or not they're keep, keeping this particular seat. Uh, but more so than that, I think it starts to come with what you just said, and, and, and I definitely want to talk to you about this offline, but how do you start to change the narrative in people's minds about how things should be? Because accountability only comes when people start to actually believe that that's how things should be. And right now, we, we think it's okay for people to be in office for, for 80 years. I mean, to have that job. And I think that that's something that we actually shouldn't think is okay. We should know that term limits is a better way to be so that we can keep good new ideas, fresh faces, and make sure that accountability can be held because people aren't allowed to create their own little fights inside of what's supposed to be a system for the people and by the people. Okay, I, I'm gonna cut you. I'm gonna cut you off only because, and I love you, Dwight, and I I hope I see you again much more often. But we have ten minutes left, and I want to hear from. Mary, and there is a French woman on the call-in side of this podcast. Um, Lucia, Her name is Lucia, and she very much would like to speak. So, Lucia? Hello, Juan. Hello. Do you hear me? Can I get you? I I don't know how this works, Haman. It might not work. Yeah, you could hear. You could hear each other. Go ahead, Lucia. Okay. Okay, can you hear me properly? Okay, well... I did really Hello. want her to speak, but uh, yes, you can. I got to yeah. figure out oh. more about this technology. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, hold on. Hold on. Oh, sorry. There um, you go. There you go. Oh, I got it. No. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> sorry. I had, I had to unmute okay. my Hello. mic. Sorry about that. Lucia, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Hello, everyone. Hello, Dr. Francine. Hello, Hello Dr. Yeah. Hello, Lucia. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. And uh, yes, I wanted to add a little bit perspective as a French citizen. French citizen from the Caribbean. And um, so one thing to know that is election in France is uh, they're always on a Sunday. So it, the reason why is to make sure that the, the, major, the, major, sorry, the majority of people can go to vote. Uh, yet there's no guarantee that people are going to go. And actually, I checked for you the numbers for the last presidential election. It was in 2017. And 22% of the people didn't go to the first round. And for the second one, 25%. And for me, it's really a lot, especially that at the second round, we have 
uh, a candidate from the far right. So that was really, um, I would not say scary, uh, but really, uh, I don't know how to say that, but yeah, that 25% of the people don't want to vote when we know that the democracy can be in danger is really, we can ask questions about what's happening and what's happening in the head of people. And um, I really uh, believe in the power of education. So in France, we also have um, like um, like at school, and I think nowadays, I think in primary and middle school, if I'm if I remember right, they actually have uh, classes to understand uh, how it works, how democratic works, how, how it's important to go to vote. Um, myself, I'm born at the end of 70s, so I also have this kind of class. Uh, but I always consider this class as uh, something to complete the education that I had at home. And I think it's really important that the parents, or at least the people who uh, surrounded the kids, explain to the kids how important it is to go to vote. And when I was a kid, um, no matter what, even if we have like a party on Sunday or something to go to do, my parents always to make sure that they will, they will go to vote before going partying or whatever. So it's really, for me, it's really important that education also is important, but from home also with the people who are actually going to um, influence the kids. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I have a third point, but I forget what it was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, well, you can come back anytime, Lucia. Very nice to meet you. Um, we also have a caller from Argent Argentina, um, which is also a flawed democracy. <laughs> no, sorry, I want to make sure that because I mentioned uh, U.S. was 25, Argentina is also considered a flawed democracy and number 48 on that uh, uh, economist list. Uh, France was 24, by the way. And sorry, okay. Maria Paula, she's on the clubhouse side. Uh, hmm. I don't yes. Hello, Dr. Francine. Yes. Hello, everyone. Oh, I do see you. <laughs> Sorry, there you are. Uh, yes, please yes. go ahead. Yes, thanks for having me. Uh, well, I, I would like to clarify that all that I say is my personal opinion. Um, as regards uh, democracy in Latin America, what I think what we can do to save democracy, um, well, first of all, to guarantee that every voice is are heard, as has been mentioned earlier. And I do think that in some cases, uh, we need to limit the, the presidential powers. For example, uh, we have been governed by emergency decrees that were enacted due to so-called emergency reasons, and um, due to that emergency reasons, some um, rights were restricted. So I do think that we must ensure the separation of powers, the, the tech and balance systems. And uh, there is also a very important subject concerning the region. Um, uh, I do think it's important that um, and I, I do think that it's important to implement there is the advisory referendums. Um, and let, let's me provide some context. For example, in my country, um, this year the abortion has been legalized. Uh, 
And it's also the case in Chile, that it's a neighboring country. There is a bill that was passed, um, submitted to the Federal Congress, also to legalize the abortion. And I think that the, uh, that um, I'm not passing a judgment about the constitutionality of those uh, laws or bills, but I do think that uh, that initiatives uh, implies a very profound change in the society. We're very conservative countries, so I do think that those initiatives uh, deserves and uh, um, advisories referendums because otherwise. Uh, the change is so profound that um, a part of the society, if the law is approved, as it was the case of my country, will feel that they lost part of their history, their belief, or their idiosyncrasy. So I do think that, um, I'm, and I'm so I'm, I apologize if I sound repetitive. Those initiatives that are um, well, in this case, it's the right of life, the very fundamental rights. That implies those meaningful and profound changes in the society do deserve a prior advisory referendum so as to guarantee that every single voice is heard and uh, that uh, that is uh, justified. Um, not, uh, I mean, in constitutional terms, but uh, I mean, from our sociological point of view. So, uh, just to sum up, so, uh, uh, for me, um, we need to ensure that democracy is uh, more democratic. We, we need to guarantee the separation of power. In some cases, limit to the presence of powers. And I think that it will be it will be very important to implement advisory referendums in some uh, very important and, let's say, uh, controversial initiatives. So that's my contribution. Yep, and, that's a good uh, idea. And I have a friend who has a uh, a an idea called virtual country. We lost Mary. Oh, Mary, I wanted Mary to bring us home. But, okay, we lost her. So let me just say that I want to expand this discussion. So I thought I would never say this, but click on the little greenhouse and follow the club, because if you follow the club, you, you will be uh, made a member of the club. And if you are a member of the club, you can open your own room and talk on any subject that the club, uh, that the club talks about. And I really would like to enlarge all these discussions you know, without um, making myself a nuisance by pinging around every week like a, you know, like a silly goose asking my friends who all have their notifications off to come in. Jake, would you like to bring us home? Sure. I'll do my best Mary impression. Uh, this is Jake with the baby pick uh, over on the left column, I think. And the, the piece that I think I haven't heard fully said yet and, and fits in with, with Eric describing the project as a multi-generational work, uh, but also I think Dr. Francine, some of your analysis is that, that those of us who are able to get into white spaces and um, you know whether we identify fully as, as just unadjective white or white adjacent or whatever it is, those of us that are able to get in there to understand 
those spaces are currently being um, continuously invaded by an, an anti-democratic set of, of evangelistic ideas. And, uh, and one of the ironies of the whole thing is that the, um, the, the atheist movement that developed a whole lot of, of um, uh, anti-dogma uh, rhetoric and philosophy, uh, a lot of those people have, have decided that on the basis of you know, their, their dislike of social justice theory, they're now repurposing their, their uh, discoveries around how to convince people and how to persuade people. They're repurposing that to try to target things like critical race theory, uh, things like uh, transgender rights, um, and, and try and you know, push this line that, that the, the greatest threat to democracy is dogma on the left. Uh, I, think, I, I think some form of a citizen's tabernacle, some form of uh, of non-dogmatic but civic evangelism is something that is needed over the generations because we are the white people in the U.S. aren't going away and are a, a voting block that will either continuously be pulled towards reactionary and fundamentalism or uh, need to be brought into the fold. And I, I do not stand with the, you know, let's talk to the racists or let's talk to the whoever it is, uh, let's just, let's really understand them of the New York times, et cetera. Uh, I, I am looking more towards people like my, myself and I, I don't do enough of this, uh, but people like ourselves to, you know, see the connections between the reactionaryism and fundamentalism in the anti-vax movement and see the connections in the anti, in the reactionaryism and the fundamentalism in the anti-choice movement uh, to, to tie these multiple things together and realize uh we, we cannot just uh, stop talking to the people we have a hard time talking to. We actually have to find ways to be continuously witnessing to them. So that's where my thought is at as far as saving democracy. Thanks. Okay. I am going to shut the room down with enormous apologies to Mary, um, who I need to reach out to and, uh, and back channel for an apology. And also to uh, Elijah, who is a faithful uh, denizen of these rooms, who I did not get to call on. And I'm going to try to do a better job next week. And next week, we will be talking about whether the creator economy, as we have now been talking about it for the last six months on Clubhouse, can ever succeed. And in the meantime, thank you so much everybody thank you see ya thank you all take care all